Well, hello and welcome to Finding Our Way, our Southridge Church member podcast designed to give people the inside scoop on life in our church. Here's our host and lead pastor, Jeff Lockyer. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Finding Our Way. Uh, Trying to do a little bit of a mini series of sorts, uh, considering what it looks like not just to be Jesus-centered, but to lead communities that are Jesus-centered. And uh, another, uh, I'll say good friend, I haven't known him that long, but another friend that I've I've gotten connected with through a ministry called the Jesus Collective is a pastor out of Calgary, Alberta, named Jeremy Duncan. Jeremy, thanks so much for being here. No worries. Thanks, man. Uh, It's great to connect with you in this way and to let not only our people at Southridge, but uh, all the leaders listening uh, track with you as well. If you can just take a few moments to orient us to who you are, where you are, what you're about, what the deal is with your family, church, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Give us the ABCs of, of you. Yeah, so um, so I'm originally from Toronto. I, I grew up in uh, Peterborough, Ontario, and in Scarborough, and uh, lived in those areas. But then in 2004, uh, I moved out to Calgary. So t- took a job with a church out here, and I've been here ever since. So this is this is where we've been home for a long time now. My partner Rachel and I moved out together. Um, in that time, we uh, adopted two kids. Um, we have two kids that, uh, that we have, um, adopted here in Alberta. And then we planted a church called Commons Church in 2014. And we've been doing that now for, for eight years. So, um, so yeah, so started on the East coast over closer to you guys and, and made my way out West here. And I think this will stick here. This is the, our communities here. Our families here, our kids' birth parents are here in the province. So, um, so this is home for us now. That's cool. Do you want to uh, do you want to talk about this Jesus Collective thing and this cohort we're part of, and sort of how we met? And yeah, so Jesus Collective is is um, it's it's pretty cool. So we we are part of a denomination called the Evangelical Covenant Church. Um, a lot of these different churches um, that are connected to the Jesus Collective are sort of all over the place denominationally. Um, but I think even beyond that, there's there's connections um, and similarities um, that we have with all kinds of different communities. And so uh, a couple of years ago, we started having this conversation about a more informal network of churches that could share resources, um, that could share our stories together, and just sort of support each other you know, pastorally as, as colleagues. And, uh, and that's how Jesus Collective formed. Commons was one of the sort of initial churches that really jumped on board. Um, not just as individual pastors, but as a church to say, hey, look, we're going to get behind this and, and we're going to help uh, fund it and kick it off and, and be part of that whole thing. And then in that uh, conversation, um, you know, ended up in a cohort with you and learned some stories about Southridge, uh, met a lot of really good people, both here in Alberta and, and around North America. And I think that's been, um, I think it's been a really good place for us as commons because um, we, we love our denomination. But our denomination tends to be smaller rural churches in Canada, and and they've been around for a long time. We are a church plant in a major urban center that's a very large church. We've grown very quickly. And as much as we have great relationships with those churches, we didn't have a lot in common in terms of sharing you know, tips and tricks and techniques and what we were wrestling with specifically. So Jesus Collective and also with Southridge has been sort of this neat complement to those relationships um, to have different types of conversations. So really enjoyed that. Yeah. Uh, give us the, 
kind of founding narrative and everything that you want to say about this thing called commons. It's obviously dear to to your heart, and I've certainly picked up on that uh, in in the times where we've talked about our lives in our, our our faith communities. So, you know, how was it founded? What was the thinking? How's it going? All that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I. Um... So I didn't grow up around uh, a lot of Christianity and religion in my home. Uh, I got connected in high school, um, went to Bible college after that, you know, got hired in a church right away in Toronto, did that for a while, um, ended up leaving ministry for a bit, and then ended up going back into ministry here in Calgary. But all of that kind of journey of coming towards Christianity, um, you know, building into the way that I talk about my faith, um, ways that I think we're always trying to invite people from outside the story in, that has always been sort of a really formative piece for me. And when I was at uh, the, the church that I came to Calgary to work for, they gave me lots of opportunity to experiment with all of that, um, to try different ways of talking about Christianity, to try different ways of forming community around Christianity. Um, a lot of what I did there was young adult community. Uh, but slowly, that kind of uh, grew and it evolved and it matured a lot. You know, I was in my you know late twenties when I was doing that, and a lot of those people who were with me, um, they started getting older. That's that's what happens, right? So we're doing this community that's formed in a different way, that's talking in a different way. People are coming into it, but we're all getting older. We're having kids, and eventually we got to the realization that we just needed to try this on our own and see if it would really fly. And uh, Westside Kings Church, where I was at at the time. They were just incredibly supportive. They said, like, hey, if it's time to spread your wigs, then let's do this. Let's get behind you. Um, and they gave us a platform for that. And so that community of young adults who had started in their early 20s, who were now in their late 20s, um, started looking for a space to meet in the city to plant this new church, which was going to be Commons Church. And, uh, and I live in the urban sort of center of Calgary. It's in a neighborhood con- called Kensington. Or West Hillhurst, and uh, and I was living there, and I wanted something in the neighborhood. I wanted something more local, an expression of church that way. And so we had started talking to uh, it, w- it was a legion, you know, about renting space and doing church on Sundays there. And uh, we had a contract; we were just about to sign that. And this little church down the corner um, got wind of this and reached out to us and said, "Hey, like we hear you guys are looking to do something new in the neighborhood." Um, would you be interested in renting our building? And they were very frank about it. They said, look, we are an old, small church that's kind of struggling to hang on and we need some rental revenue. And if you guys are going to be renting anyway, why don't you rent from us? And it could be a good relationship for both of us. We were like, hey, that sounds amazing, right? So here we got this group of you know, 20-somethings trying to do things a new way, trying to do this in a local neighborhood, trying to rent it. Now this church approaches us. So they said, can you send us some information about who you are and what you're doing just so we feel good about things? We said, absolutely. And about a month later, they came back and they said, look, we've read all your stuff. We're really fascinated by this. Maybe instead of us trying to just get a bit of revenue to hang on, would you be interested in talking about something more, some kind of partnership beyond that? And so over the course of about three months, um, we decided to to merge. That church ended up voting unanimously to fold. Um, they gave all their assets to the church plant. We formed a new board and we started a new community here. 
So it was founded out of this group of about 40, 20 somethings and about 20 seniors that were part of this, this little old church on the corner. And that's where Commons Church came from. Um, and then it just, it just took off. And I think part of it was, first of all, the sort of revitalizing of presence in the neighborhood. I think that was really attractive and really interesting to people. Uh, but I also think a big part of it was this sort of intergenerational mix. So it wasn't just these, you know, 20 somethings and this 34 year old guy who thinks he knows what he's doing. It was also this mix of people who were willing to surrender and willing to give up their, their capital to be part of something and, and generations of faithfulness in that coming together. Um, and it just became this really attractive expression in the neighborhood. And we founded on these ideas of being intellectually honest and spiritually passionate, keeping Jesus at the center. That was our values from the start. And then, and then things just went crazy. We had two services within a month. We had three services the next year. Uh, we went to four services. Then we went to five services and added a second parish. And then COVID hit. And now we're trying to figure out everything all over again. But, but that's now sort of the, the story service. of COVID uh, commons <laughs> over the last yeah, five, six or seven years there. That's spectacular. And uh, isn't it neat? Um, we've had some experience with this in, in our context as well. Uh, you know, I don't know if you would exactly call it this, but in the sort of church adoption. Yeah. Is, isn't it amazing to watch the beauty and power of what, what God can do through surrender? Like it really becomes this picture of, wow, that's what surrender looks like. And man, can God ever have his way with, with people and with hearts that are surrendered? Maybe I should think about being more surrendered more than more of the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it's really inspiring, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's honestly, it's, it's one of those stories where, you know, you look back on it and, and it kind of like, to be perfectly honest, it kind of feels like somebody's writing the narrative after the fact and and trying to you know make it sound better than it was but it was really just this really beautiful thing and and those um those people who were part of that community are still part of the community they're still contributing i actually emailed one of those um original members this morning i was chatting with her um so yeah it is it is a really remarkable thing and i do think i probably still have not fully learned that lesson that you're talking about that if that story can be that powerful organizationally how powerful could it be in my own life? I'm still struggling to actually internalize that lesson as well, but hey, there it is. Yeah, so. yeah me too. <laughs> um, it, it sounds like not only in hearing the history of commons and, and the kind of launch pad from your former church, but even in the, the little bit that I've gotten to know you, that, that this growing community is the product of in a lot of ways, an evolving faith and an evolving understanding of faith in community. Right. Um, do you want to talk about some of those, you know, intellectually honest and Jesus-centered? Like, when you talk about Jesus-centered, what do you mean? We're in a little bit yep. of a theme. We had Meredith, uh, we recorded with last week and shared her with our community and, you know, kind of got her take. When, when, you're, when you're at Commons, when you're talking about Jesus-centered, what do you mean and what are you not being centered on if you're Jesus-centered? Yeah, exactly, right? Like, you know, sometimes you you express that as a value. And the counterpoint is, well, isn't every church Jesus-centered? Isn't every church have Jesus at the center? And in, in a sense, yes. And I, I am not saying, I, we don't set out our values in contrast to other churches. When we say we are intellectually honest, we're not saying other churches are not intellectually honest. <laughs> um, but we are expressing, you know, the deep, 
you know, core foundational pieces that we're always going to come back to as we evaluate how are we doing and, and what are we going for. So let me talk about all of them here really quickly. Intellectually honest was really important for me because, um, so education is not the goal. Like I'm not talking about letters behind your name, but, um, the community that we live in as an urban, um, you know, educated neighborhood, people want to be able to talk about their faith at a, at a fairly high level at commons. Now that doesn't mean they want to go to a lecture. It doesn't mean they want that, but they are looking for, you know, expression of faith that's well thought through, well articulated, but also one that has a level of humility to it. And that's actually, honestly, a lot of what I mean with intellectually honest. It doesn't mean um, we have an answer for everything. It actually means we have some humility to recognize that actually some answers are complex and some things are nuanced. And sometimes we have to continue to wrestle them out together. That's actually intellectually honest to me. And people who, you know, have been through university or a graduate degree, um, you know, are, are used to sort of wrestling with, you know, the gray of, of what it means to come to these, these questions and these answers. And that was a big part for us because that's our neighborhood. That's, that's our people. That's who we're speaking to. At the same time, that can very quickly transfer into, like I said, just sounding like a lecture. And I actually come out of the Pentecostal tradition. And there's reasons that I have journeyed past that and evolved beyond that. Um, actually, that's not even the right language. Evolved beyond isn't the right thing. It's not better than. It's just that I've, I've moved a place in my journey. Um, but I didn't want to move to a place of, of losing the sort of passion and the spirit engagement that I felt was really formative from, from that journey for me. So when we put those two together, it was about, you know, trying to always thread a balance between the humility and the nuance of recognize that we don't always have the answers and also still being full of conviction and passion about the way of Jesus that guides us through the world. So those were that. And then Jesus at the center, for me, when I think of Jesus Collective, uh, when I think of Commons Church, when I think of any of these conversations, it's not just hey, we're Christian, so we follow Jesus. To me, it's actually a hermeneutic um, about how we approach everything. So that includes the Bible. So, you know, we were joking about this before, but, you know, the book that I just wrote, Upside Down Apocalypse, is about reading Revelation through the lens of Jesus. That's what we mean, is that we don't take the Bible as flat and assume that every verse has the same authority and the same ability to speak into our lives. They're all inspired. They're all part of the story, but the story leads us to Jesus. Jesus is where we actually encounter the divine revelation of God. Once we encounter Jesus, then we look back and we reinterpret everything that we have ever read, everything we've ever seen, every relationship that we've ever been in through the lens of Jesus. And for me, that is particularly the nonviolence and the grace of Jesus. So when we say Jesus-centered, it doesn't just mean, yeah, we're going to hold up Jesus you know, all the time, we're going to always talk about that. It means we are going to interpret everything that we read through the lens of the Gospels, through the lens of the incarnate Christ who lived and walked through the world. And there's complex passages in the Bible. You, you know this, you know, some in the Hebrew Scriptures, some in the New Testament, that we really have to work to understand in the light of Jesus. But if we have that kind of humility to be intellectually honest about that difficulty— if we have the passion to say, okay, we're going to keep our passion and our spirituality centered for us, and we're always going to keep Jesus as our lens through everything, I think we can move through this in a way that is 
Um, and not that this is the goal, but it becomes really attractive and compelling to people who are on the outside looking at the Jesus story and saying, hey, do I want to explore this? Is this something that I want to consider for my life? Um, ironically, sermons that are pretty highly intellectually focused that still have some passion to them and still have a hermeneutic of Jesus, I think have become a really powerful evangelistic tool for us. For those who are listening from Southridge, I mean, you're just licking your lips right now uh, as bonus content from the series that we just launched yesterday, nice. uh, launching into this Faith Foundations uh, series. You know, Jeff Martin's kind of walked us through the essence of following and the difference between centered set and bounded set. And uh, as a spoiler alert, Tom Lowen will be up on Sunday uh, walking us through how to read the Bible from this kind of Jesus-centered high arc instead of, I like your language, Jeremy, of just a flat, every verse counts for itself, uh, you know, approach that's void of the narrative and then the retrospect of uh, filtering everything through Jesus again. I guess what I'm curious to know about commons then is, in addition to this deep and rigorous and sophisticated but humble Jesus-centered conversation that you launch people into on Sundays or every Sunday, what else does it mean for commons to be a Jesus-centered church? Like practically, what, you know, what does that mean in ministry? What do you operationalize? What, how does that programatize? What does that look like? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good question. And I think that's what we are, you know, always continuing to wrestle with is um, what does it mean to do that? And how do we uh, continue to um, hear the voice of spirit that's pushing us and challenging us in different ways? So first of all, I'm not going to pretend that we have figured those things out. We are constantly wrestling with that question. But I think there are some, some significant pieces. Um, and one would be, and I know this is a big one for Southridge, is, is our presence in the neighborhood. Now, you know, Commons, um, we have specifically tried to be very, you know, very hyper-local and neighborhood focused. That gets harder as the church grows. And I'll just be honest about that. Once we sort of reached a certain level, we, we were, you know, less hyper-focused in the Kensington neighborhood. We ended up planting a second parish in Inglewood, which was about five minutes away, specifically so that we could focus on that neighborhood as well. But that kind of, that kind of presence, and that is um, certainly being a good citizen in the neighborhood, but it's also, you know, caring for your neighbors. It's also partnering with organizations. It's learning the specific needs of the, of the areas that you're in. Now churches can do that in lots of different ways. Some churches are more regional, but then they might have small groups. So they might have families that are very hyper-focused on, you know, their block and who's there and what do they need. And that's a big thing for us. So, you know, as an example, right across the street from my office right here is a school um, called Louise Dean. It's a really unique school in Calgary uh, because it's a partnership between um, Catholic Family Services and the Board of Education, but it's specifically a school for moms who are finishing their high school education. That's, that's the only students in the school. So there's a nursery there, um, you know, where they can come, they can bring kids, there's uh, food and, nurs and nourishment programs, there's um, parenting programs, all that. So we've partnered with them on scholarships which is a huge financial investment to make sure that, that these girls can, can do post-secondary if they want to do that. But we've also done things like we provide uh, grocery cards, pharmacy cards, 
Um, we provide space for the dads because this is a new thing that we've been working with them on is, is making sure that the dads that want to be involved are getting coaching on parenting. Um, and so providing our space because we have a gym in our building. So for the dads to come and play basketball for a bit, and then they, the, the school provides some coaching on, you know, how to change diapers and how to support and all these types of things, those types of things. So like this ongoing relationship back and forth, we're also sort of the emergency contact point for the school, all that, but not, but, but this is what's important. Not only that it's a good cause, cause that's important, but that it's a hyper local cause that we are involved with specifically because of our proximity to them. And I think that's the piece that, that becomes really compelling for me in terms of actualizing, you know, our Jesus centered way in the neighborhood. And we have a number of partnerships like that, but at the same time, I also think it, it, it moves into questions like leadership. So we have a very flat leadership structure. So, you know, I, I founded commons, I'm the founding pastor, but we worked really quickly to move away from any of those sort of personality driven models, um, bringing on a teaching team. We have Scott and we have Bobby on our teaching team, um, you know, and, and not just giving those people, um, you know, opportunities to speak, but opportunities to shape and lead and guide the community in really important ways. So, I mean, we just came through Easter, um, and I got to sit in the audience and watch Bobby get up and teach our community on Easter Sunday. It's one of the proudest moments. And it wasn't the first time she's done it. She did it three years ago too. But one of the proudest moments for me as a founding pastor is to sit in the audience on the most important Sundays of the year, listening to somebody else teach me and feed back this story of, of Jesus-centeredness that we've always wanted to be a part of. So those types of things as well, that that not only do we give ourselves away to our neighbors, but we give ourselves away to each other in terms of leadership and in terms of guidance and in terms of how the community evolves in ways that we didn't expect it to. Uh, one of our main goals right now is more diverse voices in more diverse places. And we've been working on that for a couple of years. That means working towards more diversity on our staff, um, you know, ethnically, in terms of gender, in terms of background, but also more diverse places that we speak into things like podcasts and YouTube and, you know, sermons on Sundays, but books, you know, all these types of different ways that we give voices for our community to speak in new ways, understanding that both one, that makes us richer, but it also understands that our community is going to grab a hold of um, different types of expressions. Some people love sermons and that's great. I love giving sermons. But some of our people love reading books and some of our people love listening to podcasts. And the more diversity that we can have in the voices and in the expression of those voices, the more ways we give people to find Jesus and then center Jesus in their lives. So there's a lot of things going on, but those are two that come to mind. Hmm. I love the commonality as I talk with more and more leaders and communities aspiring to pursue this you know, more deliberate, more specific Jesus-centeredness. Instead of just assuming we're all we're all keeping Jesus at the center, like there is a conscious choice to it, yeah. and you know when you move from the kind of conversation which it requires a specific kind of conversation into the the actualizing or the the operationalizing of it, it feels like the the guiding question is, what are the ways that we personally and together in community can incarnate Jesus to a greater degree where God has placed us. You're talking about neighborhood, maybe it's regional, maybe it's in your family. But I, I just love that common thread because it really boils down to that, that question. I, I, I want to understand and pursue Jesus at the center, but in doing that, I have to let his life manifest itself through me and us in 
visceral and, 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 you know, practical experiential ways. It's, it's, it's super compelling. I guess along those lines, I'm wondering, Jeremy, you know, you've been around ministry for a while now and certainly been into the trenches of it at, at Commons now for, for some time. For you, both for our Southridge members listening, but also other leaders across the country and, and beyond that, that track with this, this conversation, what are the biggest pitfalls or what have, the been, what, what have been the kind of primary challenges or obstacles or like stumbling points to pursuing this Jesus-centered vision? Yeah, so the biggest one is that the way I'll articulate this is, is the biggest thing is that we are not socialized um, in our particular expression of, of, of Western culture, but even just as human beings, we are not socialized to open our, our communities. We're socialized to close things down, to draw boundaries, and then to define ourselves by who we're against or who we're not. So that that's I I, I just believe that's a, a core you know part of the human condition is that we are socialized over and over again to define ourselves by an enemy. Um, we're not them; they're the bad guys. This is why we cast people out. This is why we push people aside because we need to know this is how we feel safe. Is that we're on the inside group. And somebody else, if I'm going to be on the inside, then I have to know somebody else is on the outside. And that to me is fundamentally um, the opposite of the Jesus way. The Jesus way is about saying, hey, there's a movement towards something and we're going to move along that together, but we're all going to come at that from different angles. And, and as we make that movement and as we see things coming together, we're going to recognize that as, this, as the center or the significance of our, our community not particularly our proximity or our line crossing or those types of things. So as soon as you start trying to do this in church and you say, okay, we're going to be a Jesus-centered church and we're going to define ourselves not by our boundaries. Like you, you've talked about bound and set and centered set. I mean, this is you know important language. We use that language too. But as soon as you try to operationalize it, it gets really, really hard because you're going to come up against situations where you're now disagreeing with people you're seeing things differently from them. You're practicing the way of Jesus in slightly different ways. And, and you're asking people um, not just to change their theology. And this, this is what's so important about it. You're actually changing them. You're, you're sorry, you're asking them to change the fundamental way they have understand themselves as a human being. Um, you're asking them to say, no, I want you to think of yourself as a human, not by who you're not, but by who you are by what Jesus is doing inside of you, by the way Jesus is shaping you and the way that you're journeying with the people around you. And that sounds good, but in practice, it is so hard for people to get their heads around that. And so we have found that um, early in commons in our journey, we would have people who loved the way that we talked about things. And let's be honest, I think they loved the excitement of a fast-growing church. Like that That's just the reality of it. You know, A crowd attracts a crowd, and so people would come. But they would be here three months or six months, and they would love it. And then all of a sudden, we would say something, and they would put their hand up, and they'd be like, you can't say that. Like, you can't do that. You can't let that person be involved or whatever. And I would, and I would say, like, we've always been doing that. Like, it's just that this time it pushed a button that you were uncomfortable with. But this has always been a foundational thing for us. And, and so we started to realize that we had to sort of condition people, and we had to um, front load that conversation a little bit more. We had to do more work on the front end with people about saying like, look, 
this isn't just about new, fancier, more fun language for the Jesus story. This is about fundamentally reshaping what it means to be together in community. And if you're going to be here and if you're going to buy into here, you need to know that eventually you're going to be asked to sit across a table with somebody and share communion and a meal with somebody that you fundamentally see the world differently from. And in that, we're not going to ask you to change your view, but we're going to ask you to be open to listening and learning from that person and vice versa. And that is going to be a hard thing to do. But that's what we believe it means to be Jesus-centered. And, and I think people underestimate just how difficult that is. Because again, for me, that's not a theological change. That's a fundamental socialization change that we're asking people to do. Um, you are not you because of who you're not. You are not you because of who's your enemy. Uh, you are you because of what God is doing in you. And once you get that, it becomes a, fun, I, I actually believe this, it's a new way to be human. You know, Paul talks about that idea of a, a new humanity. Uh, like I fundamentally believe that's what it means to be a new type of humanity is that we are completely socialized in different ways. So, you know, my academic background is in René Girard and he talks about the scapegoat mechanism. That's, that's what he talks about is that this is, this is our original sin. This is what it means to be human is that we choose scapegoats and we drive them away and that's how we feel good about ourselves. And Christ comes along to say that is nonsense. It's gross. It's violent. It's awful. And you need to stop doing it. And, uh, and that takes a lot of work. And it continually takes work for all of us, you know, for the rest of our lives to, to find the ways that we're doing it. Oh, we could add another half hour to this conversation because you've, you've really <laughs> tapped into something I, I, I know around Southridge uh, has, has been very dear to, to our heart. And, uh, I mean, I'm sure, Jeremy, that you're finding that challenge is probably exponentially harder after two years of COVID. You know, it's, it's, right. the, our world has only socialized and intensified in the opposite direction yep. of this Jesus way that you've been trying to move. What a, what a difficult place to, to, be, to be nurturing and, and building Christ's kingdom. I guess uh, before we wrap up, in addition to helping people know, like, where they can find you, you know, website and social and whatever. Uh, give us 60 seconds on this book that I'm sure many people are going to want to tap into and, and, and explore themselves. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's coming out in July. It's called Upside Down Apocalypse. Um, but it's about a, 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 it's about grounding the book of Revelation in the gospel of Jesus. That's, that's the tagline, something like that. But uh, my academic work is actually in studying apocalyptic literature and in developing nonviolent interpretations of a lot of this violent imagery um, that was part of a particular genre that existed in those first couple centuries of, of the church. And so what I've done in this book is take my, my expertise on Revelation, which is what my graduate uh, degree is about. My graduate thesis was about Revelation. Um, but I've interpreted those images and those scenes by comparing them back to gospel images all the time, always going back to Jesus in the gospels and looking for that. And one of my biggest concerns about Revelation right now, you know, you mentioned COVID, you mentioned sort of the, the partisan rancor that has torn society apart in a lot of ways. Well, I think the easiest thing that can happen in those situations is that then we quickly look for conspiracy theories because conspiracy theories are fast ways to blame a villain without having any nuance and any reflection back on ourselves about how we're maybe part of the problem, right? It's much easier to believe that a group of elite Illuminati or everything that's wrong with the world 
that recognize that actually maybe we participate in an economic system that disadvantages a lot of people every day, right? Like that takes nuance and that takes self-reflection. So a conspiracy is much easier. And so what I wanted to do was take my expertise in Revelation, ground it in the gospel of peace in Jesus, and show that, that the Jesus we hope for in the future, the one who comes back to us, is no different than the Jesus that we worship in the gospels. Because I fundamentally believe that if we're hoping for a Jesus who looks nothing like the Jesus of the gospels, then we are not, that's not Christianity. That's, that's, a, that's a religion of our own making where we're hoping for a Rambo Jesus that looks nothing like the divine word that was revealed to us in the gospels. And I think with a little, um, uh, you know, biblical scholarship of understanding apocalyptic literature and what it's trying to do, you actually end up with a view of revelation that is entirely consistent with the Jesus that we see in the gospels. There is no contradiction there. Uh, it's just that revelation is using a particular way of speaking um, that we're not familiar with. And so I work through a lot of the academic scholarship, um, but, but do it in a really sort of accessible way um, to show that, no, what John is doing in Revelation is not trying to give us a different Jesus. He's trying to give us an image of Jesus that was relevant for a particular audience in the first century. And once we get that, I think it motivates us to follow the way of Jesus that's, that's presented to us in the Gospels with even more passion and excitement for it. So that was, that was more than 60 seconds, but, but that's what I wrote about there. I'm, uh, yeah, it, it'll be out in July, so check it out. Good enough. We'll take it. Um, commonschurch.ca. It's commons.church. So we're commons. one of those churches Church. that bought those new TLDs. But yeah, commons.church. And then my website is just jeremyduncan.ca. Perfect. What's your favorite social media platform? Uh, you know, I, I probably use Twitter the most, although it's lots of Twitter drama these days. So we'll see what happens with that one. But yeah, that's that's probably where I use the most. So <laughs> yeah, although that not. has nothing to do with my work. That is entirely maybe, just Maybe my not own after family. it gets purchased, but yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Jeremy, thanks so much for connecting with us today. I hope this isn't the last conversation we get to have. And uh, next week, you and I actually may be connecting in person at this Jesus Collective event called Unite if you end up uh, fully recovering from COVID in time. So, you know, still a bit of No worries. I'm looking forward there. to it. Yeah, that's going to be great. And uh, to all of you tracking with us again this week, thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you in seven days' time as we continue finding our way together. Take care, everybody.